hamburgers and I love those fries, remind me of the boardwalk fries at the beach, don't they? Yeah, it's good stuff. Well, there's five guys in the story, five guys in this story we've been talking about uh, since three months ago, and these five guys are five good kings. They're only five. There are actually 38 kings in all. Only five of them were good. The other 33 are rotten as could be. Rotten as could be. So we're going to talk about one of these five guys, because that's pretty remarkable. That's only 14% of the whole lot of them. And yet God used this one in a powerful way. One of the last two good kings of Judah was named King Hezekiah. His devotion, his obedience to God was sandwiched in between a bunch of bad guys, a bunch of really wicked, evil guys. And it's noteworthy. We want to look at his life for a little while today, and we want to look at the life of Isaiah, the prophet who spoke during this time. 16th chapter of the story begins with the judgment of God on the northern kingdom, which is called Israel. For 208 years, the northern kingdom of God was led by one evil king or another. There wasn't a single good king among all of the northern kings. All of the good guys were in the southern kingdom, Judah. And so Israel from its beginning, had been chosen by God to be his showpiece, his demonstration to the world of who the true God is. That all the other gods of the world are false, meaningless, empty, just a creation of man's imagination. And so God wanted his nation to shine out and to bring glory to him that he was the one true God. But they messed that up. His goal was shattered by the disobedience and by the idolatry of his people. And so God had raised up, at this point, the mighty army of the Assyrians as his judgment upon the nation of Israel to the north. Uh, Look at this map for a minute. You'll see in the blue area the kingdom of Israel, and in the center of that with a star is Samaria, their capital city. You'll see in the bottom in the yellow area the kingdom of Judah, quite a bit smaller. In the very northern end of that is the city of Jerusalem, its capital city. You'll see almost all the way around them, the Philistines, uh, the Edom uh, people, the Moabites, uh, the Ammonites. Up to the north, you have the Syrians and different ones. Almost all surrounded by other peoples. And so these two little nations are there huddled in the middle that God is uh, wanting to work through. North is completely evil. So God brings the Assyrians against them. Shalmaneser, the king of Assyria, is sent by God to bring judgment on the northern kingdom, and he quickly takes control of the blue area, the large area of the ten tribes of Israel that had gone to the north side. He sets up a government there, a a government that was a vassal government. You know, the king is a king, but he's not really a king. He just has to do whatever the king of Assyria tells him to do. His name is Hosea, and Hosea does this for a little bit of while. He, He He uh, pays tribute to Assyria. He does what he's told to do, but it finally gets to be too much. So he sends off messengers to Egypt to see if they'll side with him. And when Shalmaneser finds that out, that he's trying to make a new treaty with someone else and bring somebody else in on the scene, and he stopped paying tribute, then he sends his army against Samaria. And they take over the city. They capture Hosea, and he and 27,000 Jews are taken to Assyria and dispersed throughout that mighty nation so that they would never be able to reassemble. In fact, the nation of Israel never comes back together. This nation is destroyed. 
And in those ten tribes become what we call today the lost tribes of Israel. You ever hear that term? They're just out there somewhere. There's no uh, identity to them, nothing that pulls them together anymore. Well, about this same time, God has called Isaiah to be one of his greatest prophets. Just before the kingdom of Israel falls, Isaiah is sent to Judah to warn them of the same inevitable judgment unless they change their ways because there's a lot of evil that has gone on in Judah as well. Isaiah's message is actually sent out to both kingdoms. Both the northern and southern kingdoms are going to fall under the judgment of God because of their wickedness. But the difference for Judah is that one day God would raise Judah back up and he would fulfill his promise that through Judah or through the kingdom of David, he would be able to save the whole world. That this would be an eternal kingdom and that there would be a kingdom where there would be this Messiah, this deliverer, who would in fact save not only the Jews, but everyone else on planet earth. As the mighty Assyrian army carried off Hoshea and the 27,000 Jews to Assyria, there was this godly king of Judah at that time named Hezekiah. And he's kind of nervously watching what's going on to his north and all around him. Now the Assyrians have taken on everything. They've, they've taken control and he alone is kind of left there. And so he has been watching these world-shaking events. He knew he was going to be next on the hit list. The thing I want you to see, though, this morning is that Hezekiah was not anything like Hosea. Hezekiah was a good king. Hezekiah was a man of faith. And Hezekiah got what God was doing. He understood it. He got the message that God wanted a chosen people. He wanted to bless them. He wanted to protect them. He wanted to provide for them. And as they served him, as they loved him, as they were obedient to him, then God would be exalted in the world as the one true God that man could know and serve. So in the early years of Hezekiah's reign, he tore down the high places and the religious sites where the Israelites had had worshipped the idols of the nations all around them. He tore down their Asherah poles and he, he stopped the abominable practices that his predecessors had been known for. And he proved his loyalty to Jehovah. But now, three years into his reign, the Assyrian threat was at his doorstep. In fact, it moved right on in. It started taking city after city of the kingdom of Judah. And it was approaching Jerusalem itself. At first, Hezekiah according to 2 Kings 18, pays tribute to Assyria. He tries to stave them off. He gives them 10 tons of silver, one, gold of, uh, one ton of gold that they were demanding from him. But that has exhausted his treasuries. That's exhausted the money they even had in the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. And, and he's pacifying, he hopes, the king of Assyria, but he is not pacified. In fact, he moves right on into Jerusalem. And he wants the capital city. He wants to make Hezekiah this puppet king as well. And he refuses. That's where he draws the line. He refused to surrender his capital city. He refused to surrender the temple of God, which was the showpiece of God that showed God is the one true God in the world. So Sennacherib, the king now of Assyria, sends envoys to Hezekiah who said that they wanted to negotiate a peaceful surrender of Jerusalem. 
Their reasoning is faultless, really. They said, look at all the nations around you. Everyone else has has fallen to us. Everyone else is under our control now. Why should you think that you could resist us when no one else could? Why would, would you resist us when all the gods of all the other lands have not been able to save their people? Why do you think your God could save you? They're standing outside the walls of Jerusalem. And they begin to speak to all the people that are lining that walls. And they're saying to them, don't trust in God. Don't let Hezekiah deceive you. Don't let him convince you that Jehovah could save you. No other God has saved their people. Why would you put your trust in him? People are not allowed to say anything. Hezekiah has said, no one is to answer the man when he's speaking. But his officials run back to him at his throne. And they say to him, They're tearing their clothes and they're saying, this man, what he has said. We're going to pick up the text in 2 Kings 19 today, if you want to follow along. When King Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes and he put on sackcloth and went into the temple of the Lord. He sent Eliakim, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and the leading priest, all wearing sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. They told him, this is what Hezekiah says, this is... This day is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace, as when children come to the point of birth and there is no strength to deliver them. It may be that the Lord your God will hear all the words of this field commander, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God, and that he will rebuke him for the words the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, pray for the remnant that still survives. And when King Hezekiah's officials came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Tell your master, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid of what you have heard, those words which, with which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen, I'm going to put such a spirit in him that when he hears a certain report, he will return to his own country, and there I will have him cut down with the sword. King Hezekiah responds with faith. He responds by trusting in God and praying for deliverance. And he sends his people to Isaiah. What will God answer? What will God do? The easy road would have been just to cave in, but he refuses because this is the glory of God. This is the name of God that is is being questioned here. This is the battle scene, not what's going to happen down between soldiers, but who is God and Hezekiah got it. Well, as the Assyrians were waiting for Hezekiah's reply, would he surrender the city or not, they got word that the Egyptian army had started coming up from the south and that they were going to fight them. They were going to attack them. And so the commander of the Assyrian army gets anxious to find out what Hezekiah's answer is, so he sends a letter to him. And he demands in this letter a quick reply, I want to know, you're going to surrender or not. And the word of God says that when Hezekiah got this letter, he took the letter and he went into the temple of the Lord and he spread the letter out on the floor of the temple and he fell down prostrate before God and he prayed to God. These words, starting in verse 15. Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim. You alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, O God, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to insult the living God. 
It is true, O Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations in their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by men's hands. Now, O Lord our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. Hezekiah got it. He knew what the battle was about. He knew what the point was being made. It had come to a head, and he got what God needed to do, and he needed to stand up for God. God alone was God. And so God replied through Isaiah, his prophet, God has heard your prayer, the arrogant things the king of Assyria has spoken against God Almighty, and he will not let Jerusalem fall. And then to the king of Assyria, God added this message from Isaiah. Who do you think you are? (laughs) Insulting, blaspheming against the Lord. How can you boast of all that you have done when it was I who made it possible for you to conquer the nations who have fallen before you? Your insolence has reached my ears, and now I will send you back home the way you came. And then we read the end of the story, the end of chapter 19, verse 35. That night the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. I read that. I thought, how did they get up if they were all dead? You know, it didn't seem to make sense. But there were a few left. But almost everybody had died. Could you imagine the next morning you got up and all the people that you served in the army with are gone. They're all laying there on the ground dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. He went home. One day while he was worshiping in the temple of his god Nisroch, his sons Adramelech and Sherezer cut him down with a sword and they escaped to the land of Ararat and Esarhat and his son succeeded him as king. God's name was to be honored. God's name was to be exalted. Hezekiah got it. The Assyrians didn't. Isn't that a isn't it amazing? Hezekiah didn't even have to fight a battle. The battle was a spiritual battle fought on his knees, the floor of the temple. And God destroyed the Assyrian camp, and Sennacherib returned home to die there. I want you to know that when hope seems lost, just when things get the darkest, that is the time that faith must shine. That is the time that faith in Almighty God needs to shine brightest. The same faith that led Hezekiah to purge the land of idols is the faith that also led him to trust that an army of 185,000 Assyrian soldiers was no match for God. Hezekiah was saying, in effect, King Sennacherib, you may have your horses, you may have your chariots, you may have your legions of battle-hardened soldiers, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So we have two kings in our story today, King Hosea, who caved in, who is wicked, who is thoroughly selfish and self-centered, and his whole nation collapsed, never to be heard from again. And we have King Hezekiah, a man of faith, a man of obedience, a man of trust. King Hosea's wicked kingdom was destroyed. King Hezekiah's kingdom was spared. And eventually, even after they were taken away years later, God brought them back and fulfilled his promise that the whole earth would be blessed through the kingdom of Judah, the kingdom of David. The example of these two kings illustrates something for us this morning. 
And that is that every generation and every person rises or falls on the choices and decisions that they make. Everyone makes their own choices. You make a choice, I make a choice. Every person in this room will make a choice. Every person in our family, every friend that we have will make a choice. Will it be to live for themselves or to live for God? God calls for people like us to do his work. But the choice to follow God or not is ours to make. It is a privilege to be invited. It is a privilege to be included. It is a privilege to be called by God to glorify him in our lives. But it is not a given. It is not deserved. God didn't have to even make that offer. And we make the choice whether or not we will respond, whether or not we will receive, whether or not we will obey. It is a choice. People like Isaiah and Hezekiah understand what we need to understand. They captured what we all need to capture. And that is that our very purpose for living in life is not for me or for you, but for God, to bring glory to God, to live for God, to bring glory to God. We are to bring glory to God by doing whatever God tells us to do. Hezekiah, one of the last good kings of Judah, took it upon himself to remove the high places and worship of the false gods and goddesses. He took it upon himself to restore the worship of Jehovah alone in the land. And he averted a tremendous disaster, their annihilation by the Assyrians, because he chose to follow God. He chose to bring glory to God. He got it. Isaiah had a personal choice to make as well. If you've read in Isaiah 6, when God called him to be a prophet, in a vision, God ushered Isaiah into the very throne room of God. And in that vision, every creature in the room is giving glory to God. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory, they were saying. And Isaiah got it because he fell to his knees and he said, I am ruined. I'm a sinful man. I live among a people that are sinful. I have no business being here in the throne room of God. And then God cleansed him miraculously in that vision. And God called out, who will go for us? Who will take our message into the world? Who will tell the world what I want them to know? And Isaiah stands up and he says, here am I. Send me. He made that decision. He began his ministry in the year, he says, that King Uzziah died, 739 B.C. It extended throughout Hezekiah's reign. And he served God for a full 53 years of his life until finally Hezekiah's son Manasseh put him to death very gruesome way. He didn't like the prophet criticizing his wickedness, so he had him sawn in half, according to Jewish history. Through the prophet Isaiah, God promised that Emmanuel, God with us, would one day bear the sins of the whole world, giving all of us the opportunity to be saved from our sins. And so Isaiah's message was for Judah, it was for Israel, but it was for the whole world that God alone can save, that God alone can deliver, God alone can redeem, and God alone is to be praised and glorified. Everyone today makes their choice as well, whether for God or for their own selfish desires. Each of us must make our choice either for God or for the way we want to live. Will we choose to glorify God or will we live for ourselves? 
as we make that personal choice, we must take to heart the words that Jesus gave to his disciples in Matthew 6, his Sermon on the Mount, when he said, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. God's kingdom is what matters. God's kingdom is all that counts. His kingdom will ultimately prevail. Not the Assyrians, not Judah, not Israel, only God's kingdom. So the best thing we can do is to discover what our king wants and just do it, live it. Live in whatever way pleases him. I want to share a short video with you this morning. It's a little bit hard to see, so watch closely and think about your own life as you read what it has to say. God's kingdom and delight yourself in him. That's as simple and straightforward as you could have as a, as a mantra, as a, as a principle, as a guiding uh, voice for your coming year, 2014. Seek God. Seek his kingdom and delight yourself in him. Don't delight yourself in all the things of this world. Don't take as a, the best part of your life what happens outside of God because your life is in him. And the kingdom is his. And our job is to glorify him every way we possibly can. Hezekiah and Isaiah chose to live for God. Hezekiah and Isaiah chose to bring glory to God through the way they live. Will we do the same? You know, last week, a week ago Saturday night, we were having church in here. And last night, it was really impressed upon him as we had church again that there was someone missing. Jim Deal was in church a week ago Saturday night. He's one of the newest members of our congregation, 63 years old. Some of you have already heard that Jim passed away this Thursday. Some of you don't know that, so this is news to you. But Jim was in church. Christmas Day, he was fine. His sister and family came in, spent the day with him, four or five hours here in Manassas. Uh, and uh, they went home. Friday morning he got up. He was off uh, from work. They had given him a, a new tablet, so he decided to walk down to Barnes & Noble to get some more e-readers for that. And in the Barnes & Noble, Jim had a heart attack and died. It made me think last night. I was sitting here in church. A week ago, Jim was in church. No idea that that was the last church service he would ever attend. No idea this was his last opportunity to come together with the other believers and to worship God. You just don't know. And you don't know. I don't know. None of us knows how long we really have. None of us knows how much more time God will give us. Maybe all of 2014, maybe another 20 years, maybe another 20 days. But is your life all about glorifying God? Is your life about seeking his kingdom and delighting yourself in God? Is that what your life is about? If it's not, then wake up. If it's not, then make a change. Today, decide that your life has to be about that. It is the only way to live. It is the only way that will glorify God. And I encourage you today that if you have not come to that point where God is everything, that God is the the, the leader, the priority, the value of your life, then that decision needs to be made today. 
few minutes, we're going to sing a, a, a closing song, but it's more than that. It's a time of decision, a time of reflection, a time to evaluate your life. As we get ready to start this new year, what a perfect time for you to think about who I am, what am I doing, what am I doing with my life? Am I seeking his kingdom? Am I delighting myself in God? I want to pray for you today. As we have this time of decision in our songs, if you want to come up and share any decision that God has laid on your heart, we want to invite you to do that. If you just want to come up and ask for prayer, we invite you to do that. If you want to come and, and uh, spend some time with somebody today and say, you know, I really need to wrestle through this. I don't want to leave until I've talked about this, until I've decided what I'm doing. We'll take as much time as that takes today. Let's pray. Father, I pray for every person here today as we uh, come before you. That in the humility of our very hearts, our souls, we acknowledge our need for you. We acknowledge that we've been like those Israelites chasing after some false things, some, some idols, some false gods. We've made priorities out of things that shouldn't have the priority. We come to that recognition today, and our desire is to seek you, to seek your kingdom, to seek whatever you want because you are the one that needs to be glorified through our very lives. Lord, I pray for every person here today. Some have been believers for a long time, but maybe have, have kind of gravitated to one side or another of the road that leads to you. Maybe they've just kind of drifted. They need to come back to you. Maybe there are others here, Lord, that are new in their faith, like Jim was. Just learning, just growing, just trying to kind of uh, stretch things out a little bit, learn about you. And that's all the time they've been given. And maybe today is a wake-up call for them that uh, they need to get serious about this. They need to pursue you. And they need to follow you. And maybe, Lord, there are some people here today that have never made any decision to follow you. They just believe that you're there. They believe in God. They sometimes pray, especially when they're desperate. But today, you're speaking to their heart. And I pray, Lord, that you would help them to come that, to that decision. That the only thing that matters in the end is God and our relationship with you. And that life can live, be lived the fullest, the best, the most productive, the most successfully if we seek your kingdom and delight ourselves in you. Help us, Lord, to all come to that realization today before we leave here. Uh, may no one go to their car until they've determined that that's how they're going to live this next year and the rest of their lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We sing a song together. We invite you to stand. If you have a decision of any kind to share, you want to request prayer, you want to just come up here and after the service be ready to talk, you come on up. While